Uh, well, welcome everybody. Um, in the liturgical calendar, um, the, this Sunday is the baptism of our Lord Sunday. So uh, a, a significant portion of churches throughout the entire world are reading in Matthew's gospel the story of Jesus getting baptized by John. And typically in like our 930 service, this would entail a, a sermon on baptism, um, which I did today. And then I thought, you know, baptism isn't something we've really talked about in Unorthodox, and it's really something I'd like to kind of go through and really offer a more historical lens to it because it's just so different than most of our understandings of baptism today. Um, in fact, I, I think maybe theologically there's probably more of a, a disparity between how we understand baptism today and what baptism was 2,000 years ago. Um, I think if, like, John the Baptist showed up today and saw what churches were doing with baptism, it would be unrecognizable to him. He would just be like, whoa, you guys really got this wrong. Um, so I want to talk about it. But before getting into it, I really want to talk about how do we perceive baptism? How, how was baptism taught to you if you were baptized as a kid, if you grew up in a different kind of church than our own, or even our church, because baptism is still very different? Um, for those of you that are either not baptized or not Christian, how did you <clears throat> perceive baptism, hearing about it, or if you ever, uh, you know, did hear anything about it? So I want to open up with that question. Um, how do we perceive baptism, its meaning, its purpose, etc.? Yeah, Luke. So I have a family process in my experience with that family. Like your nuclear family? Both. Okay. Um, the church has a community and family, but but as a family experience, grandmothers, aunts, uncles. Like family gathers for a baptism. Kind of. Not, not necessarily. It isn't always that way, but it's a way of acknowledging family-ness. You know, you kept the candle and you had it, your mom kept the church sanctuary? Yeah. Everyone dancing around, singing in tongues, and then you would get baptized, and then you were like, that was your ticket to heaven. Okay. <laughs> so a lot, of, a lot of hoopla about it, right. um, but also I think the big thing at the end, that's your ticket to heaven. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah, Evie? I was raised evangelical, too, and it was, it, it was a funny topic in our family because um, the people those around us treated it like it was um, a, a necessity to getting to heaven, like what Lauren was saying. But um, my parents were like rebels and and never and opted out, oh, wow. it, which is kind of interesting. Yeah. So it was always a little fuzzy. Yeah. It was a fuzzy topic to me. It was more like a I, the way my parents would kind of describe it is that it was a optional uh, physical portrayal of your faith. Yeah. A public portrayal, I suppose. But okay. Optional. 
fascinating. I know. Yeah. And so we never did. Okay. And I, we never we never got baptized. We never our kids never got baptized. Yeah. It's funny. Yeah. Yeah, Becky. I have to tell several short little ones. <laughs> I was baptized at Easter Sunday. I was born in February, and that Easter Sunday, my parents had just become Lutherans, and so all three of us kids, I was the youngest, and so we all got baptized. Um, so that was cool, and I was certainly taught that um, it was a means of grace, that God's actual grace, so salvation actually comes through that. Um, and then um, when I started having kids, my first daughter, we were in a little country church up there, and she, she was about six weeks old when she got baptized, and that was a little late. They were really pushing it. You know, were, yeah, that was, that was very radical of me to wait a whole six weeks. Um, and I put my, you know, stuff for my leftovers for my wedding dress on her baptism dress, big deal. Um, and then um, my husband was a pastor, and we wanted to be missionaries, and we went to um, a week long, a month long training thing, and you know, to the sending agency. This was the okay, you get sent out. And my husband was terrified. He didn't want to go. And he's a Lutheran pastor, you know, infant baptism the whole way. And he said, no, he couldn't accept infant baptism anymore. No, you had to have the decision. He just like took the other side of the of the argument about infant versus believer baptism stuck to it, so they said, sorry, brother, you know, we can't send you. Um, and then we went home, had two more babies, and baptized them as infants. That was, was like one of the weirdest things in my life. Um, and now with my, the, the six kids who I adopted who has been baptized, I told them they couldn't decide when, I mean, because they were all of the age to discuss it, and um, five of them have chosen to be baptized in one Yeah. So I'm all over the place cool. that. Yeah. And I don't have any my, my personal theology, I don't think it has anything to do with God's acceptance. I don't think he was going to damn anybody in the first place. Yeah. So yeah. It's not an issue, but um, I have certainly had my whole heart and soul in, the, in and out of baptism yeah. issues. And, and that perspective, thank you, is very Lutheran. Uh, Becky said a means of grace. You know, Luther took the seven sacraments of the Catholic Church and got rid of five of them and kept only two. Uh, baptism and communion, and said that these are means of grace, which is, is these are ways upon which God's grace is given to people, but even for Luther, it was very much about where you go after you die, and so God's grace is given to you through baptism and communion, um, so that you can go to heaven after you die, and even now as a Lutheran pastor myself, I would say Luther got that part wrong, um, the means of grace thing, the grace thing, Luther, I think, got really right. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up. Your hand went up. Oh, um, I was just gonna say I, I was baptized, and I, I don't even think about it. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't I don't I don't I don't it doesn't cross my mind at all. Um, so I don't I don't for me um, I understand the you know the the reasons and the purposes behind it, but um, yeah, to me it just I I don't I don't I don't know. I just to yeah. me it doesn't seem. I think that says something in and of itself. Yeah, right like I, I think it. I think how you live your life is is public displays and public things like that. One for a baby that doesn't really know. I mean, we don't know what this person, what this person's going to grow up to. How the person's going to grow up to be. I don't know. I just, um, I don't think about it. Um, I just, that's just me. Yeah, that's, that's good. Yeah, Elizabeth and then Karen. Chris knows my um, baptism story pretty well. Um, I was not 
never felt called to do it. Um, it was never an issue for me. My parents were academics. And when I moved, first moved to the Valley, a lot of people were very concerned because I did not attend a church. And I, if they asked me, I would frankly tell them that I was never baptized. And I would tell them, if you're really worried about it, pray for me. I figured it couldn't hurt, right? <laughs> you know, I mean, honestly. And, and, um, but it was really interesting. I mean, there were people that socially shunned me because I was not baptized. Whoa. I've never felt called to do it. I do a lot in the community. I don't feel like I'm concerned about my spiritual life, my any grace, any afterlife at all. I have no issue with it, but it just isn't a priority or a necessity to me. Um, Chris mentioned communion. This is the first church I've ever taken communion in my whole life because I was taught that you shouldn't take communion unless you're a member of that church or in the Catholic sense you go to confession. And so I always felt it was something that I should exclude myself from. Um, and I was okay with that. Um, but I love taking communion here. So I think um, it's such a personal thing to me. Um, and, and I think the whole thing of judging people around it is really... Uh, questionable to me. Thank you. Um, yeah. Yeah, Karen. Um, I remember growing up that it was really confusing because um, I wasn't baptized and we weren't part of a, a church that was doing baptisms, but that to me there was like this big gray area that some people then had communion and some people were baptized when they were older and some people were baptized when they were little and I didn't know what any of it was except that it seemed to be a rite of passage. As I uh, talked to my parents about it and learned a little bit more, that some, one of the ideas was that if you're not baptized, then you can't get into heaven, and that's why some people are baptized as babies so that they can be saved. And I just thought that that was uh, that there that there are in cemeteries that there's places for babies that are not baptized that are not within like the actual church cemetery, and that seemed really strange and scary. somebody for not being baptized like that's just for me that's just an easy yeah for someone I don't want to be around yeah. uh, Steve Lobby last thing uh, yeah I was baptized as an infant and what Lou said about family I think it was more about my mom than about me because yeah. I don't remember it you know um, and it was her commitment to her family to her children to raise them as Christians yeah it was about family lineage. Thank you. Um, there's some that you get submerged, and there's some where there's... Well, that's it. Like, so baptism really has this connotation, right, of immediately creating a thing of who's in and who's out, or an us versus them. Immediately. No matter what your stance is on it, unless your stance is like, hey, you could, but you don't have to, right? If that's your stance, then maybe there's no us versus them, who's in, who's out. But every church, for the most part, even ELCA Lutheran Church, um, like we have prayers where it says like, and 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 bless all the baptized, blah blah blah. And I won't say that because I don't believe in in, in that kind of um, in in and out kind of a thing. But then there's a lot more 
specificity as you go to different churches. There's, it, does this church believe in infant baptism or is it a believer's baptism? The person has to make a conscious decision to be baptized. Uh, there's some churches that say, like our church says, one baptism for all. No matter where you've been baptized, no matter what denomination it is, it's, it, it, it qualifies. Whereas there are other churches that say, no, you need to get baptized in our church even if you were baptized previously. Um, we have a big evangelical church where I grew up, and my brother started going there because he wanted to impress a girl he was dating, and he got baptized a second time uh, because they said that your baptism when you were an infant at our, our church um, doesn't count. Wow. And so he, he did it, all to impress a girl. Why would my daughter go to church that did that, and she, who had been baptized as a baby, um, got baptized again and got licensed to baptize, which is a big deal because she was a woman in this church. Yeah. So immediately there's this exclusivity to it. Mm -hmm. And that's a big thing. And, and I, I definitely struggle with that as a pastor. So, and, and there's different circles of exclusivity. One, you're baptized into Christianity. So you're immediately away from anyone who's not Christian. And then if you go more specific, you're baptized into a specific denomination, if that denomination requires you to be baptized within their denomination. Um, and then you're baptized at a specific time. You can't be baptized as an infant. You have to be baptized as an adult. The age changes. Well, 12 is good enough in some churches, but 18 is maybe for another, etc. cetera. Um, and, and the crazy thing is none of this is biblical. For 2,000 years, churches have, become, have been coming up with specific theologies about baptism <coughs> that have no foundation in the Bible. And the reason for that is because the Bible in the Gospels all the way through uh, Acts and then all the epistles doesn't talk a whole lot about baptism. It talks about there's references to the act, but not about the theology itself. <coughs> And so it's kind of hard to piece it together and say, well, it has to be specifically this, because there's just not a whole lot of information there. Mm -hmm. And then, and then I, as I wrote it, my, my other struggle here, Dylan Roof, who was the shooter at the Charleston Church, was a baptized ELCA Lutheran church member. Wow. So then you could, if you want to be a cynic, you could say, well, what does baptism really do? Right? Does it immediately make you a good person? Does Dylan, is Dylan Roof going to go to heaven after he dies? Not that we really espouse any of that here, but just to ask that kind of question. Um, and, and, and he's a baptized member of our own church denomination. And so I, I, I also have my own personal struggles with baptism. For me, it's going into the historical context of how baptism is talked about, and that's what I want to go through with you. Um, and I'm going to try to go through this quickly. It's also a little difficult because you guys don't have Bibles in front of you. You may not know about what I'm talking about. You may not be able to reference it in your mind. I'm not, yeah. You may not be able to reference it in your mind, but I am going to talk about three things here. I'm going to talk about John the Baptist, right? Where that's where baptism starts. I'm going to talk about Jesus and the Gospels. And then I'm going to talk about Paul. Who Paul, um, and if you think about the Bible, we think, well, the Gospels are the story of Jesus, and Jesus happened before Paul, so we have to go to the Gospels first to understand what something's about. But in the New Testament, Paul's letters were written before the Gospels were written. So actually, you would probably want to go to Paul to understand a little bit more of what were early communities treating baptism as. 
And my main reason for talking about this today is I don't want this to be an exclusive space. I, you know, at Unorthodox, we're not going to talk about the need to be baptized for anybody, especially since we have people in here who are not Christians, and we're not going to try to convert anyone into Christian. I mean, you're kind of a Christian, Keith, right? You're a oh, Christian, a Jew, and a Muslim. So. A little bit of Yeah. Backslide Yeah. Um, but you can I, baptize but I, me if you want, just complete the act. Yeah, right? <laughs> <laughs> but also, historically speaking, there's something really cool about baptism, and I want to get to that point, too. So um, let's start first with John. John the Baptist, you know, and when we think of John the Baptist, one thing we have to realize is John was Jewish. John was baptizing Jewish people. He wasn't trying to baptize people into a new faith. Scholars don't exactly know where baptism, the practice, historically comes from. However, within Judaism, uh, ritualistic purification with water was a common thing. It wasn't something that happened once for your whole life. It was something that happened throughout life. And odds are, John the Baptist was using some kind of a ritualistic purification thing for people. But it was not centered in, in, in baptizing people into a faith or into a belief in Jesus, it was, it was a cleansing and repentant baptism. John was definitely asking people to repent of their sins, be baptized, have a cleansing of that, and then come out with a new commitment to something else. Um, and for John, it was not individualistic morals. It was about communal sins, primarily sins against vulnerable populations. John felt that Rome was God's punishment, just like Babylon, just like Assyria, just like Persia, that uh, these were God's punishment on Israel for no longer following ways of justice. And how do we know this? Because in the Gospel of Luke, after people are baptized, they repent, they say to John, well, what do we do now? And John says, well, those of you that have two cloaks, give one to someone who doesn't have any. Those of you that have extra food, give it to somebody who doesn't have any. Uh, for those of you that are soldiers or tax collectors, only take what you're supposed to. Don't take extra so that people can have enough. It was very much centered in the justice of that time and what John understood the prophets were trying to point people to. So again, completely absent of belief in something, completely absent of being baptized into a religion, again, because these were already Jewish people who were going to stay Jewish. Um, contrast that with kind of the purification model we have today. A lot of churches would say you're being cleansed through baptism, but you're being cleansed through your own individual moral ineptitude. And that's very, that's a huge departure from what John was doing. And that kind of goes in line with this individualization of Christianity throughout the years, right? Um, scholars believe, you know, the way we read the Bible, the Gospels especially, is that John was baptizing people. He was kind of doing his own thing. And then Jesus comes along, and John's like, well, you're the one. I've kind of been preparing the way for you, and now you're going to take the mantle and go with it. And truth is, scholars believe there are probably two separate movements going on. One was the baptism movement. John was very much trying to get people to repent of their communal sins and turn again to God and to justice. Um, 
Jesus was actually a part of this movement. But John wasn't that shrewd about it, preached too hard, and got executed <coughs> by Herod, or by extension by Rome. And so Jesus decided to start his own movement that would take a little bit of a different stance. Um, and, and, and Jesus was going to start this kingdom movement, which is, you know, the kingdom of heaven is at hand, and we bring the kingdom of heaven about through justice. The, the spirit of the Lord has anointed me to bring um, sight to the blind, good news to the poor, to let the captives go free, uh, etc. Notice in that, though, Jesus' movement, his kingdom movement, does not entail baptism. Jesus talks very little about baptism. Um, I actually went through the Gospels to kind of understand, really, I went through every reference to baptism to understand, well, what do the Gospels really say about baptism? And there's really only three primary stories. One is Jesus' baptism by John, which doesn't say anything about morals or sin or anything like that. The other one is a story where um, uh, James and John's mother asks Jesus, hey, will you let my children sit at your right hand and your left hand when you come into your kingdom? Which very much is a story of when you kick Rome out and establish the kingdom of Israel and make it powerful again, can you have my kids be like your right-hand guys, you know, which is a very prestigious thing. And Jesus says, well, are they prepared to be baptized with what I'm going to be baptized with, which is a reference to his crucifixion. And James and John are like, yeah, we are. Um, and, and so later on, people thought that has to do with actual baptism, and you need to be baptized as a believer of Jesus. But what Jesus is really talking about in that reference is, are you prepared to live this way of life to the point of being killed for it? Um, James and John do, eventually. They, they are executed, historically, as well. Um, but notice, that is really about how you live this life out. Are you willing to stand up for justice to the point that it becomes dangerous for yourself? So that's, that's how Jesus is using the reference of baptism there. And then the third one is what's known as the Great Commission at the end of Matthew, uh, where Jesus tells, go out into the world and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of God the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Now, on one hand, he never says people have to be baptized to get into heaven. And being a disciple has to do far more with following this way of life than believing in a human or a person or an idol or an object or anything like that. Um, so all of the references we have to baptism in the Gospels have really nothing to do with the way we understand baptism today. If it, and so my argument would be is that it has everything to do with making a commitment to a way of life. Making a commitment to um, a way of life centered in love, compassion, justice, grace, nonviolence, uh, equity, all of these things that Jesus spends far more time talking about than he does baptism. Um, so that's John and that's Jesus and kind of the Gospels. Uh, on your handout, I want you to notice that uh, I, I referenced Acts here because Acts is where baptism is probably referenced the most. And every single time baptism is referenced in the book of Acts, it's kind of like what Lou said. It's about joining a community. It has nothing to do with getting to heaven after you die. That's never mentioned in the book of Acts. Really, the book of Acts is about this new community that has started after Jesus has died, and it's growing throughout the Roman Empire, and kind of an induction into that community is baptism. But in antiquity, we know this. You are not part of a community by, by what you believe. You're part
part of a community by what, you're, what you do. And, and in antiquity, um, the concept in believing in something consciously but not following through with your actions, that just wasn't a concept back then. That, that's something that comes with the Enlightenment age, um, 1,500 years later. So in antiquity, people <coughs> understood belief as how they follow through with their actions. And so as people are um, baptized into this new community, they're being inducted into a community that is centered on a way of life. And they knew that ahead of time, and they chose that ahead of time. Um, and then lastly, I want to go into Paul here. And Paul does reference baptism. Paul has seven letters in the New Testament. He references baptism in only three of them. First Corinthians, Romans, and Galatians. Um, and there's some kind of cool things here. I'm going to try to explain this as best as I can, but it's a little difficult because we're not actually going through these letters. And Paul is kind of creating a lot of theology here, and they're, they're playing off of each other. And it would just take us too long to, like, set up, well, you need to understand this part to understand what he says about baptism and this part to understand this later on. But I'm going to do my best, okay? Um, and the struggle with Paul is that Paul talks about baptism and resurrection often in the same, like, paragraph that he's writing. But nowhere does Paul say you need to be baptized in order to be resurrected. I, I also want to say one thing about resurrection in Paul. We treat Paul as though he is infallible. Everything Paul wrote is the law of God, and it's absolutely true. <coughs> Paul very much believed that the end times, the eschaton, was going to happen in his lifetime, and he was rushing to get people to be a part of this new community as fast as he could, not because he thought they were going to be resurrected and others weren't, but he wanted as many people to participate in bringing it about as possible. And Paul was off by at least 2,000 years now. <laughs> the eschaton has not happened. So Paul is a fallible human being. He believed something was going to happen, and it didn't happen. And that's okay. I would say God is bigger than that. God is mysterious. We don't fully understand God. Paul missed the mark on this. But Paul didn't stake everything on throwing your hands up and just waiting for the resurrection to happen. He, he, he created communities that were dedicated to this way of life. Um, the other thing about resurrection, real quick, is that Paul also didn't believe about a resurrection into a heaven somewhere else. That was not part of his belief system. He didn't think that when the end times happened, people were going to be raptured away, people were going to be taken to heaven. Paul very much believed that resurrection had to do with, with peace on earth. It was a here and now kind of a thing. Um, it was God, and, and that was a very Jewish belief in that time. Um, so a lot of Christians throughout time have taken Paul's writings on resurrection to have to do with going to heaven after you die, and that's another mistake. It, it has to do with being resurrected here on this earth to embrace and experience this, this full peace on earth thing that God was going to do. Again, Paul's off by at least 2,000 years with God doing that. Um, so really, Romans 6 is kind of a big one I want to talk about. Um, and this is probably one where, where scholars will look at or, or other pastors and say, well, clearly Paul believes that baptism and resurrection are tied. So, you know, Paul says here, Romans chapter 6, verses 3 and 4, Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? 
Therefore, we have been buried with him by baptism into death, so that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in the newness of life. Now, a lot of people have taken that to believe that we were baptized into Christ's death, so we, will be we are also baptized into his resurrection, meaning that when we die, we will be resurrected into heaven. But that's not what Paul's talking about. Paul's talking about being baptized into Jesus' death enables us to walk in a newness of life now. This is about what Christ's death and resurrection does to us today, not what it's going to do to us sometime down the road or after our life. For Paul, it's very much about here and now. And he stresses that quite a bit. Um, and, 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 and we've talked about this before, but the reason for this is that for resurrection... For Paul to believe that people are going to be resurrected has nothing to do with what we believe or do for Paul at all. It has everything to do with what Jesus did on the cross. Um, and Paul is very, very passionate about this. He did not want human beings to take any credit for any of this glory. This glory was all about Jesus and God. Um, and, and Paul says it, and I, it's right before what I just read in chapter 5. Paul says, just as one man's trespass, he's referring to Adam here, led to condemnation for Paul, so one man's act of righteousness, meaning the cross, leads to justification in life for all. That's a universalist statement right there, if you're ever looking for one, if you're having a conversation with someone and that comes up. That's a very universalist station, uh, statement right there. Um, and Paul, in chapter 4 of Romans, makes his argument um, and compares Jesus to Abraham. And, and, and so Paul in Romans, he's talking to a bunch of Gentiles. He's not talking to Jewish people. And he's talking to Gentiles and trying to bring them into this actual Jewish thing. But they don't have to be Jewish to be a part of it. And so that's why he talks about Abraham. He says, Abraham believed that God was going to do this wonderful thing by giving him descendants and a family and this covenant. And Abraham believed it. And so all of his descendants were blessed by his trust in God. Not by anything they did, but by what Abraham did. And then, and then Paul goes on to say that's exactly what Jesus does at the cross for all of the non-Jewish people in the world. Because Jesus was obedient to God and went to the cross, then everybody, literally, the entire world, is justified and will have life. It is all 100% about what Jesus does. And Paul would never say that anyone's baptism is what makes that justification happen because baptism would be something that we are doing. No. So baptism means something else for Paul. And I'm going to get to that in a second. I didn't reference any of the other letters here because they all kind of affirm the same thing. The other cool one is Galatians 3, um, which I'm sure some of you heard. You are no longer male or female, slave or free, Gentile or Jew. We are all one in Christ in whom we are baptized, right? Um, and that has to be understood as an equity argument. He is saying that we, are, we all have the same rights now. We're all equitable because we have been baptized into this community, this egalitarian community. Um, any questions so far real quick before I move on? Okay. Some kids are coming in from Sunday school.
I haven't run over yet. You're five minutes early, so. Hey, kids, come on in. So then if we look at the history of baptism, if we actually look at how did the first communities understand baptism, um, it's, it, it's another one that's markedly different than how we understand baptism today. Um, baptism starts off as something exclusively for non-Jewish people to come and be part of a Jewish thing, which is a very inclusive action. So what I mean by that, Jewish people were already part of this this community because of their covenant with God, the covenant that Abraham created for them thousands of years before. Baptism was a thing that helped all of the non-Jewish people who weren't part of this community previously now be a part of this community. And that was genuinely how it was, it was used. Non-Jewish people had to really think through, and there was, this goes to Easter, this goes to the 40 days of Lent, which was historically, I mean, <laughs> It's a commitment to something. 
it's not a belief system and it's not, it shouldn't be exclusive. Um, it's really a cool commitment into a community centered on this awesome, radical way of life. So think about that for a second. Then I wanted us to think through it. Any questions before I, yeah, Karen. Uh, how did the Jewish community feel about um, Gentiles being baptized into this Jewish community? Uh, there was a big fight over it. I mean, even a separation over it at that point. And a large part was, and, and, and Paul talks about this in his letters, so we know it's true in Acts. Um, but there was a conversation about, well, what do we do with these non-Jewish people who are now part of our community? Because they're not following the, the covenant rules. They're not following the purity codes. They're not following the food laws that we're following. They're not following this stuff. And essentially they said, well, as long as they don't um, uh, eat food that has blood in it, long thing, then they can be a part. They don't have to follow all of this other stuff. And there is a big split about that. And that's why the... The Jesus-believing Jewish people shrinks over time, and the Gentile-believing, the Jesus-believing Gentiles grows and grows and grows. And then Judaism itself just stays kind of a separate thing from that. So yeah, there was a big struggle over it. It's a good question. Yeah. Okay. So what is baptism? Right? I kind of just said that. Then. If we're going to take the historical context of the Bible, we're going to look at what Paul, Jesus, and the story of John the Baptist says. Um, baptism is very much about repentance, but not in this kind of abusive way. Like, you need to repent from your, your individualistic amorality. <coughs> it's about repentance from living a life that is absent of, of justice for the least of these. And, and for me, I very much believe we need to repent from that as a community, uh, as a church, as a society, as a country, as a world. That is very much a part of it. And the second part is, again, you're committing to this way of life. Um, you think of, like, when a couple gets married, after that ceremony, after the pastor or whoever does, the officiant signs that um, marriage license, you're legally married at that point. But that's not what, that's not what keeps you married, right? Marriage takes a, a lot of work. And people make vows when they get married. That's what they're saying. They say, I vow to put in this work so that we stay married, because it's about staying married, it's not about getting married. It's the same with baptism. It's not that you get baptized and then you're done. Baptism is about a commitment to something, and water is what helps us remember it time and time and time again, because we lose our way. We get comfortable, we get apathetic, right? Um, so it's, it's, it's far more than that moment of baptism. It's something that just keeps going on and on and on. So if we think about baptism in this way, what we see about it in the Bible, one, does it have to be centered in the name of Jesus? I see a couple of you just like, no. I think the answer is no. No. John was not baptized in the name of Jesus. Right? Exactly. And if it's not about being baptized into the name of Jesus, can anyone, regardless of their belief system, be a part of this? That's a cool thing to think of. What if communities started baptizing people of different faith backgrounds, not because they were being baptized into a belief system, but rather because they were being baptized into a way of life? It's like any other ritual. You're being ritualistically inducted into a way of life of justice and love and forgiveness and compassion and nonviolence and equity and just, you know, all that stuff. 
Maybe we could come up with a less loaded ritual to welcome people into the community. Yeah, right? We're like different words. Like, the devil's really a part of our, our baptismal liturgy today. Do you promise to renounce the devil? Like, right. what did the devil show up? <laughs> and then is this, so if we think about it this way, is it inclusive or exclusive? I mean, that's actually a both and. It's, it's inclusive because anybody could be a part of it. It's not, you're not coming into a new belief system. But it's exclusive because there might be people who say, oh, I don't want to be committed to this way of life. You know, I'd rather, I'm not going to go there. But, so for me, it's a both and. Um, do we need to be baptized? Do people have to be baptized? I would say no. I would say no. And I might get in trouble for saying that, but leaders in my church, my larger church, um, I would say no. I don't think people need to be baptized the same way. I don't think a couple needs to be married to spend their life together. Right? Yes, Steve. So, in popular culture, there's what's called the baptism of fire. You know, you commit to being a Marine or you commit to being a doctor, and at some point, you have an event that you work through, and everyone around you says, well, that was your baptism of fire. And so, in that way, it's not about uh, a commitment. It's about an event that you make your, an event or something that you make yourself available to that changes you, that you're willing to be changed, that you're available to that. Well, there's some. I don't know whether about that, but the other thing I would say is that there's something ineffable about this, and that we are we tend to want to define things and to have them understood intellectually when, in fact, uh, I don't think that that was so required by, uh, in that time. Uh, and so here you have a bunch of people who are trying to describe something that they've lived through and that they're experiencing, which is actually uh, very hard to describe. Yeah. I mean, that model as well, you know, it's, you know, a doctor could become a doctor and graduate from, from medical school, right, and pass their exams, but if you use that baptism by fire, uh, metaphor, what it's saying is this is what the way of life is actually going to be like, and do you still want to do it? Do you and, still want to do it? and then there's an answer to that. Yeah, yeah. that's a good metaphor. Because um, we're at time, my, my last thoughts here, I don't put a ton of stock in baptism myself. I would never do anything at this church that says you can't be a part of something we're doing because you're not baptized. I would never do that. Um, at the same time, I think ritual is one of the most needed things of human culture. We absolutely need ritual. Whatever the ritual, it doesn't have to be Christian ritual. We just need ritual. We need ritual when, when two people decide to spend their lives together. We need ritual when somebody dies and we want to, we want to have some, some, some closure to that. We need rituals. Um, baptism is a cool ritual. I really think it is if it's utilized in this kind of historical way as a commitment to life or to a way of life than it is into a belief system or something exclusive. And I, that's why I will always, always do baptisms as a pa pastor. And I very intentionally have these conversations with people about well, what, are, what, are, what are you thinking you're baptizing your infant baby into? Let's, let's talk about that. Um, and then finally, I just love the interplay with water. Water is ubiquitous. 
you know, Luther was real big on remembering the baptism, he had, and Luther believed all water was holy water. It didn't have to be blessed by a priest. And Luther would say, when you get up in the morning, if you wash your face, remember your baptism. If you experience rain, remember your baptism. If you cleanse yourself just from the day's work, remember, remember your baptism anytime you come into contact with water. And I think that is super cool if that water is reminding you that you've decided to be a part of a way of life committed to justice, equity, and all that stuff. Um, do, you, do you think like that? Yeah, yeah, I do. Yeah. It's, baptism is one of those things that I would love to deconstruct, but then keep holding on to as a church. You know, um, I don't know if I feel the same way with communion. Yeah. I, don't, I don't know if we need communion. Uh, for me, communion is a pastoral care thing. It brings people a lot of comfort, and so it's a good thing to do. But it doesn't have this same, in my opinion, ritualistic component to it. Any other thoughts, questions, comments? I have a question. Yeah. I mean, when John was baptizing, he was baptizing adults. Yeah. 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 Because adults have stuff to repent of. Right. Yeah. Kids don't have it yet. So it was the Middle Ages where we started baptizing babies? No, it wasn't until the Baptist movement when you get to, to Luther that adult well, baptism becomes exactly. a thing. Yeah. Yeah, good question. What about baptism babies? I don't know. I, yeah, I don't know much there. Is that a Catholic thing? Um, no, it's, it goes into the Protestant world, but baptismal names, it's, and that's, again, you're, you're kind of becoming a part of an exclusive community. You now have a new name kind of a thing. All right, thank you everybody.